before we begin with today's show, guys, I want to tell you about WGT Golf. Did you know, coming up very quickly, we are going to be having prizes for our tournaments. We do these tournaments every single weekend, and you play. It's free to play. You download the app WGT Golf onto your phone. You can go to DNVR, dnvrgolf.com to download this app. It's super fun, completely free. You can play with friends. You can play against uh, random people. You can practice. You can do all kinds of stuff. It's an incredibly uh, accurate golf simulation game. But we do a tournament every weekend over at DNVR Golf. If you sign up now, you can join a country club, DNVR3, and then we do tournaments, but coming up very soon, our first major, where we're going to have actual prizes, like cash prizes for you. So download the WGT Golf app right now. It's the most realistic free golf game loved by more than 20 million players. This isn't some little gimmicky game. This is huge. From Top Golf Media, you're going to love it. Um, and, you know, you can do a bunch of different courses. Pebble Beach, these are actual photographs of Pebble Beach that they have this, like, you know, that it's simulated against. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And coming up very soon, we're going to have those uh, tournaments where you can win real prizes, cash prizes, giveaways, T-shirts, all kinds of cool stuff. So just sign up, WGT Golf, and then join the clubhouse, DNVR3. Come play with us. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast. I'm your host, Adam Matas, riding solo today as I break down the details, notebook style, on Game 6. One of the most interesting and fun games for Denver Nuggets. And I know that sounds, if you're not a big Nuggets fan, maybe you don't quite fully understand or fully get it, but... You know, Nuggets haven't had a lot of opportunities to get to the Western Conference Finals. Forget getting there. They haven't had a lot of opportunities to get there. So the fact that they are sort of in this position now, Game 7, one game away, after a heroic effort in Game 6, um, it just, I know Nuggets fans have been living on Cloud 9 now for 24 hours, and by tip-off it'll be over 48 hours. Um, but let's get into the details if you're new to this show. And today's show, by the way, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. You can download right now. Use promo code DNVR when you do and get access to all kinds of crazy deals. They're just every week they're throwing out some crazy odds for you. Um, so use uh, DNVR, the promo code DNVR when you sign up. So I won't. The notebook edition, I'm going to go through and talk about all these notes. And then there's a companion piece up on DNVR um, that is a the, the list. It's got some videos. I think there's like eight or nine videos for this week, some really good ones. I feel like, and I said this for the, the last couple games of the Utah series, I feel like by this point, I have a pretty good grasp on this series and, and what's going on. Not saying a grasp on who's going to win it, but just a grasp on where the battlegrounds are and sort of some a, a lot of clarity about what it is that both teams have been able to accomplish in the six games and what both teams are, you know, where their successes and failures kind of lie. So it, it's kind of fun. That's one of the nice things about a long series like this is you get to see everything. Teams, a playoff series makes you completely bare. I mean, we've talked about this a lot with Michael Porter Jr. He's on the court and all of his warts are showing. And all of his pluses are too. But, you know, when you looked at a player like that in the regular season, maybe you thought, okay, he's not the best defender, but whatever, this or that. You go out into a playoff series and it's like, oh, they're going to attack him. Or, you know, this is a vulnerable spot. Or even Yoke, I'm not just picking on Michael Porter, but all players. And I think now, going into Game 7, both of these teams know where they're comfortable. They know where they're uncomfortable. And now it's just a battle of wills in a lot of ways. Who can make down and make their shots? Which team can can sort of apply pressure to the pressure points? And that's kind of exciting. So number one, so I'm going to get into the list here, but uh, it might be a little bit detailed, and I'm really excited about it. The Nuggets, 
have been crowding the paint against Kawhi Leonard and overloading the strong side late in the shot clock. So Kawhi Leonard, fantastic one-on-one player. They put him in the pick and roll, very good in the pick and roll as well. And when they go to that early in the shot clock, the Nuggets are throwing a lot of bodies and trusting their backside rotations more so even than in the Utah series where they felt vulnerable to some of those kickouts. Denver early applying that early pressure. Part of this is Kawhi is tall, he's strong, but he's not as quick as like a Donovan Mitchell. So Denver's kind of, if it's a sliding scale between allowing a one-on-one scorer in the pick and roll versus overloading and sending multiple bodies, Denver's scale has moved very, very heavily in the other direction now where it's, okay, we're going to crowd the paint, get the ball out of his hands, and trust that we can close out on, on some of their shooters. And then late in shot clocks, one of the things Jokic in particular has been doing, and this is a defensive strategy as a team, but it, Jokic is sort of the, the trigger point for it, is they'll send him to the strong side. If there's seven, eight, nine seconds left in the shot clock, rather than follow his man or, or recover back to the roller, he'll just go all the way to the strong side outside of the paint and overload it because if you think about it, seven seconds left, if a player drives, he's there to meet him. If they skip the pass, there's only seven seconds left. There's not a whole lot of opportunity for like a breakdown, you know, kick out, beat you off the dribble on a hard closeout or anything like that. So the Nuggets just kind of being very heady about when to take some of those risks and be more aggressive overloading one side or the other. And the further that you go into the series, the more Denver, I think, makes those decisions correctly on the fly. And that's another sort of like opportunity for Denver to, to win a margin. Denver's also crossing out or Xing out on the pick and roll on the backside. So, for example, let's say Gary Harris is in the corner defending the corner shooter. The pick and roll happens. Gary Harris has to come over and tag the roller, and he's meeting them early. Again, they're they're daring those cross-court kickouts, and they're closing out hard on them. But Gary Harris coming all the way out. But then if whether there's a cross-court pass or whether it's you hit the roll man and the roll man skips to the other side, Gary Harris doesn't then release back to the corner. What happens is if it's Jamal Murray in the pick and roll, he recovers back to the corner. Then Gary Harris recovers to Jamal Murray's guy. So this is crossing out or Xing out on the backside, and they're doing a really good job of this. It takes a little bit more cohesiveness uh, on the defensive end. It takes a little bit more of just kind of being locked in. You have to be a, a half step ahead of the offense, and Denver did a really good job of this. Early on, by the way, and one of the storylines of the last two games offensively for the Nuggets is that the ball has really been popping. I mean, it's been popping so much that the broadcast teams have been saying it right we've been hearing different guys um calling the game saying the ball is popping a denver nuggets special and a lot of that has to do i think with denver again just knowing where they're comfortable and when they're not and offensively they're getting some of the things that 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 make them comfortable one of those things is jamal murray rejecting the screen against paul george paul george is so big what they're trying to do is use their length to sort of intimidate and swallow up Jamal Murray's space and one way you do that outing that pick and roll well Murray I think Murray's been absolutely fantastic in this series I know his shot and his scoring hasn't been there but his decision making has been fantastic and over these last couple games I'll have to pull up the numbers but it hasn't been you know he hasn't been turning the ball over He's, he's been very good about uh, protecting the ball, making the right reads, and I know that sounds like a small thing, but it's not. Um, if you're not scoring, you have to find ways to contribute in, in other areas, and for Jamal Murray, that has been in making being exceptional at getting the ball where it's supposed to go, whether that's to Jokic on the roll or somewhere else, collapsing the defense and getting it out of there. And as a result, Jamal Murray now six assists per game, so 12 assists in the last two games and just two turnovers. That That is absolutely huge and gets swept under the rug when he's not putting up big big 
uh, point numbers. But Paul George trying to crowd his space and, and Murray doing a great job of rejecting the screen, sort of forcing him into jumping the screen and then reversing it and on him. Maybe it's something he picked up from Donovan Mitchell because Mitchell did such a good job of this in the first round. I talked about it on the list. So if you were a DNVR member, you saw these video clips and you probably are picking up on some of this as you're watching. Jamal Murray rejecting the screen and getting into the paint. And there's a couple high-profile instances I'll talk about later on where he did just that. Jokic is also making quick reads out of the, the short roll and the pick and roll. So as the Clippers are bringing guys up above the level of the three-point line in the pick and roll, way out, they're extending themselves. Denver, I talked about this in game four, how I thought Denver was not necessarily prepared for how to get out of that. Because if you blitz the Denver Nuggets... And if Denver can get the ball to Jokic with a four-on-three advantage, Jokic is as good as anyone in the NBA at making those decisions. LeBron James, Luka Doncic, Draymond Green, the, the, that's like the list. Nikola Jokic, they're so good at making those sort of decisions, and Denver has done a good job of that. And Jokic, it seems, has made a, a, a decision to make quick reads out of that because they're so long and so athletic that they can recover quicker than most teams. In some ways, this series reminds me of a watered-down version of the 2014 Finals, where, you know, the 2014 or yeah, 2014 Miami Heat were super athletes, lots of length on the perimeter, just so fast that they could pressure, trap and recover so so quick. The way you had to beat them was with incredible ball movement. And of course, the Nuggets are nowhere near the 2014 Spurs, but they're growing in that direction as the series goes on and just trusting the extra pass and making quick reads out of that. And it's been fantastic. Um, They've really created a lot of shots out of it, and um, Jokic in particular is making the first pass in really, really quick decision-making, and it's led to a nice early flow in the offense. So that's something else to kind of keep a, a, an eye on is Denver growing more comfortable sort of beating those, those types of traps. Um, Nuggets started in great rhythm, and I always talk about and George Carl. It's funny. I do that Keeping It 1000 podcast, and George Carl has talked about this, how sometimes a shot, a single possession, can – really uh, sort of like disrupt a rhythm of an offense or, or break confidence. There's this trust that it takes to play that ball is popping style. And when one guy breaks it with a rush shot or a bad decision, that it just seems to have a real effect on it, it, it could sometimes be really difficult to get that rhythm back. If it happens two times in a row, it's almost even more. It, it just becomes exponentially difficult. Well, I thought watching that first quarter, there were a couple really Bad, like two bad shots in a row. I thought Gary Harris took a rushed three-pointer that was just he wasn't necessarily open. Maybe he was feeling it. Misses. And then Jeremy Grant takes a dribble drive to the baseline and airballs it. A shot off the move, which is just, again, not his shot. And this was after Denver started up 8-2. I think the next two possessions uh, as George Carl would say, they got a little thirsty. And all of a sudden, the flow was completely erased. I know this can be hyperbolic, and it is a little bit. The basketball is a game of runs. But staying in that flow offense is so much about constantly trusting each other. And as you go to a game six, where both teams are going to be playing hungry and desperate and the defenses are going to be as dialed in as possible – Every possession where you don't maximize it offensively with good process tilts the margins in the other team's favor. So I thought in this game there was a big reason why Denver went got started hot and then while they kind of fell off. And in addition to that, it allowed for – the Clippers to get fast break, fast break buckets. So you look at it, Jeremy Grant shoots an air ball. They go down, basically, uh, uh, they grab the ball and are able to run immediately and get an easy shot. You know, you miss a, a three-pointer that was bad process where your team just sprinted down the court. Now the other team gets to sprint down the court and they get a bucket. And if you look at that, 34 points allowed in the first quarter by the Denver Nuggets. Ten of those were fast break points. For the game, 
the Clippers had 20 fast break points. Ten of them came in that first quarter, and I would guess all ten of them came in that moment when Denver less, sort of left, lost control of themselves, and it and it compounded itself. You go from 8-6 to down, I think, 13-8, and it was a lot of those fast break opportunities. So, And then the last thing I have here, two, two other things. Paul Millsap picked up his second foul early on in this game, about a minute earlier than he usually would come out, and it, and that forced Michael Malone to make a sub. And who did he go to? Michael Porter Jr. Beating, my, beating Michael Malone over the head a little bit in this series for going to Torrey Craig in those moments and it really falling apart. He goes to MPJ, and I think that was a, you know, a good move, and he deserves credit for it. And then lastly, Gary Harris, right before the buzzer, did not heave the basketball. One of my pet peeves. The Nuggets just had a horrible uh, quarter. You know, they're down. The odds of him making a heave are what five percent, maybe less, three percent. But at least shoot it. Give you it's the playoffs. You're at an elimination game. Nobody cares about your percentage. Heave the ball. Throw a heave up. I hope Michael Malone has a conversation with his players and says, guys, we either win or we go home. Screw your percentages. Take a shot. Gary Harris doesn't have a contract coming up. Take the shot. Uh, it was one of those plays that was really annoying. But let's take a first break. First break for Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. And right now, the perfect time to check out an Avalanche Amber Ale, the perfect, the official, unofficial beer of fall, and one of my favorites in the entire Breck Brew catalog. Crisp, malty, delicious. I'm a big Amber guy. You can also check out the farmhouse, which is open, socially distanced, really beautiful setup for outside dining right this time of year. Great to be outside drinking a nice vanilla Porter Jr. maybe, maybe a Hot Peak IPA, or try the RK Special. I call it the Hot Pink IPA, Strawberry Sky and Hot Peak. Um, people at the DNVR, by the way, at the DNVR bar have been like ordering the RK Special so much. They've been It's like the favorite beer there. It kind of cracks me up that they've invented their own beer. But you can also call 303 380 from 12 to 8 p.m. for pickup. You just use promo code DNVR and save $5, and then you can order your Breck Brews, drive right through, uh, and pick it up. Lots of cool stuff. So don't remember, you can also use the Breck Brew locator. Find out where um, there is Breck Brew being sold near you, whether it's a bar or a restaurant, um, and lots of cool stuff. The official beer of DNVR. And then, of course, DraftKings Sportsbook. It was nice watching some football over the weekend after the Nuggets game. Well, I did a little bit of work. It's I'm a... Football's probably my second favorite sport, so it was nice to kind of keep an eye on that. Um, lucky for us, that was just week one. There's no better place to get in on all of the action than DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of week two, DraftKings is bringing back their can't-miss offer. This is crazy. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. All new users get the chance to turn $1 into $1 hundred dollars when they bet on any team that's right you can place a one dollar bet on any team and if that team wins you cash a cool benjamin how could you pass that up i'm telling you guys these deals they sound like they're not true but they are true these deals are incredible so if you're new to DraftKings Sportsbook, head to the app now, scout their latest offers, and use promo code DNVR when you do for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. So I just talked about the Denver Nuggets being aggressive in the pick and roll and on the backside and how, you know, that, that's how they've been able to kind of wall off Kawhi Leonard early in games from getting right to the basket for the easy shots. You want to eliminate those easy points in the paint. Well, 
one of the vulnerabilities of that, you can't guard everything in the NBA. You are vulnerable to some of those wide-open kickouts. And in this game, Jamichael Green hits three three-pointers in the for, in the opening minutes that he's on the court. And that was part of the reason that the Clippers were able to open up such a big lead. That's the gamble you take in the NBA. I mean, every NBA team is going to try to make the lesser players beat you. And J. Michael Green opens this game hitting three three-pointers. He missed two very, very big ones for the Clippers in the second half. And I feel like things kind of balance themselves out. You don't ever want to give up anything open. You want to close out this or that. But to me, when I saw J. Michael Green, I even turned to the people I was watching the game with and said, hey, the, you know, this isn't the worst thing that J. Michael Green is the one because if the game gets tight again down the stretch, he's going to be the guy open again. And I'm not sure he's going to keep that going. Michael Porter Jr. to open this game. So he, I thought he was great down the stretch. I thought he really struggled in the second quarter. And one of the reasons he struggled so much, in my opinion, I'm reading body language here, which is always dangerous, but body language expert Adam here is saying he looked like he was trapped between being aggressive and not screwing up. And he had two crazy turnovers, one where he just dribbled it and lost the ball and it goes almost out of bounds, and another one where there was like that long pass and he just like, almost kicks the ball instead of catches it. It was so weird. But you could tell uh, one of his first plays, he catches on the three-point line, hard closeout, shot fakes, drives to the free-throw line, probably has an open 15-footer, doesn't know if he's supposed to take that shot or not. Then he goes to pass, doesn't know who he's supposed to pass to, and then just throws the ball away. I think he like passes it directly to Kawhi Leonard for a steal. And to me, those are plays where I. one of the things that's so encouraging about this Nuggets team is just how good Michael Porter is and how little the Nuggets are getting out of him percentage-wise. Like I feel like the Nuggets are getting 20% of Michael Porter right now uh, on, on a good night. But plays like that to me are just show like how much he is such an X-factor, not just to the team but also to himself because he never knows exactly what he's supposed to do. I hope we get more aggressive Michael Porter. It does feel like when the Nuggets get down and he's in the game, he has more of a green light because he's just like, well, somebody's got to score some buckets. And I think that Michael Porter, there's a healthy balance with every player, but with him in particular, they need him to be aggressive without making mistakes. And there's always going to be a little give and take on that. The more aggressive he is, the more mistakes you're going to have to sort of stomach and live with. Um, He did hit a big shot, though, that helped the Nuggets stay attached. A three-pointer, basically he's he's gotten this is one of the things that's so exciting about him he's good at open threes but then even those ones where the defense thinks they're guarding him and he's just so tall if you're not fully in his space he just elevates into a a three-pointer you can't block and he had one of those and it was a a really key one for the nuggets um to, to, to stay attached when things were kind of falling apart um Gary Harris has been in the pick and roll a lot lately and the Nuggets are really trusting him to make plays I thought in the first half it didn't go well in the second half it did he drew some fouls tried to dunk it we'll talk about that one later but it's noteworthy that he gives that the Nuggets are using him as if he was like a PJ Dozier or Monte Morris saying hey don't be afraid to run into the pick and roll with with Nikola Jokic and try to like you know probe the defense see what's see what's going on um, so I want to talk now about the, the collapse at the end of the half, because this was at least in my opinion, partially preventable. You listen to a lot of analysts that I think going into the series thought it would be a cakewalk for the Clippers. A lot of the analysts said, you know, oh, we'll tell you, Oh, you know, the Clippers turned it up. They, they ramped up their defense in that second quarter and that's where they really pulled away. I mean, I went back and watched this one. So here's what happened. I thought Denver got some great shots in this one. Jeremy Grant continues to miss Paul Millsap had a wide open three continues to, you know, he, he can be up and down. But here's what happens. You had a couple and one fouls that were really silly. Jeremy Grant gives an and one foul where he fouled Paul George after the ball was out of his hands. And it was like made no impact on the shot, but did give him an and one opportunity. 
He had sloppy turnovers. Jokic, a behind-the-back pass to Jeremy Grant that was open. Jokic put a little extra flair on it, and it's a, a simple turnover. Kawhi got that steal from Jamal Murray, who just was standing up at the top of the key, kind of looking around, wasn't even paying attention. Kawhi just reached the ball away from him. Gary Harris catches the ball, stepping out of bounds. So this is not a pressure. There's nobody pressuring him. He just had his foot out of bounds. There was the Michael Malone technical. Michael Porter Jr. twice just lost the ball. Once when there was that long pass, and Michael Porter like just kicks the basketball is the weirdest play ever and then another one where he's on a fast break and again this is me talking about how mpj between being aggressive or not he probably if he's fully comfortable in his role in this team he probably attacks the basket one-on-one in, in transition instead he literally just dribbled it and lost control of the ball and the ball just left him there was no pressure on him nobody guarding him he just did it that's I don't know, five or six turnovers, all of which were unforced. These aren't forced turnovers. These are unforced turnovers. And what happens? Nine of the of the Clippers' 15 points off of turnovers happen in the second quarter. So you go to the first quarter, they get 10 fast break points, a lot of these off of bad offensive process or you know Denver just not maximizing their possessions on offense. And then you go to the second quarter and they get nine of their 15 total points off turnovers in that corner in that run, specifically in that run, and they open up. To me... This isn't taking anything away from the Clippers to say that the Nuggets have to be perfect. The Clippers convert on those. The Clippers have not been great in the half court against the Denver Nuggets, but if you spot them 20 points per game off of these you know, very preventable mistakes, and look, every team's going to make some, some level of mistakes, but it's game seven, the amount of mistakes you make on both ends of the court are going to determine this game. So I look at it and I say... The two things that I'm looking at most in this is does Denver maximize their possessions from good offensive process in Game 7, and do they not turn it over? Because Denver just has this thing where they turn it over once, and that once turns into twice, which turns into four, and it really compounds them. It did that in that second quarter, and to me, more than anything else, that was why Denver gave up a big run. They were within two points. They close out the quarter down 16, and it happened in an instant. That's how you, that's how you take yourself out of a game. You fast forward now, though, to the third quarter. Murray gets going down. Uh, Murray goes down, and Paul George drills a three, and it pushes the lead up to 19. This was early. This was like two minutes into the quarter. And this was the darkest hour, I think, of the entire Denver Nuggets season. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was the previous game because they were down 16 or so with like a minute to go in the third. But to me, this felt like the darkest hour. Murray took a really hard fall. Paul George lands on him, and you looked at it, and you go, man, I don't – you know." Is he going to recover from the, you know, what, what what's going to happen? He didn't really have a great mojo going before that. Nuggets get a timeout, down 19, basically 22 minutes left in their season unless they rally. Immediate 6-0 run. Nuggets from that point on, I thought, picked up their intensity big time. And it, whatever happened in that timeout, the sense of urgency went from an 8 to a 10 for the Nuggets. They played, I thought, urgent all game. But from that moment on, every loose ball was Denver's. Every 50-50 ball was Denver's. Deflections on all these passes, rebounds, offensive rebounds, all this stuff, the intensity just went up to 11. And Denver, by the way, didn't make one run here. They kind of made a run, got pushed back up, and then they got another uh, another run in them. But from that moment forward, they were wearing down the Clippers because they just were playing like a team that did not want to go home. And you could sense the urgency. Offensive rebounds, steals, rotations, all of that stuff. And I felt like the urgency created confidence for the Denver Nuggets they started playing more confident after that 6-0 run um, that happened out of that timeout after Murray gets hurt and here's the most important thing and maybe subconsciously or consciously one of the things that I think helped Denver rally around and, and come back Jamal Murray started attacking the basket 
After getting hurt, going down, clearly wincing, he didn't settle for jumpers. He didn't try to shoot his way out of this deficit. He started attacking the basket, and, get, and not just attacking, and ones, getting contact uh, and getting to the basket. You look at his shot chart. It was all right there in the restricted area. Or not all, but most of it right, right there. By far the most he's been able to attack the game. Um, and, and it was just incredible. A 15-0 run, and the defense was locked in. The Nuggets are scoring. It's one of those questions, and myself and Scott Hastings have talked about it as – I think the offense leads to Denver's defense improving. It gives them confidence, and then everything starts going. Michael Malone thinks the defense gives the offense confidence. You get some stops, and all of a sudden you feel good. George Carl, I think, agrees with him there. Here's what I really think. I think both things are true. We break basketball down into a possessions game, and I think sometimes it can it, it causes some blocks, mental blocks for how we for what's really going on in the game and how we analyze it. The you know, there's offense possession and defensive possession, but they bleed into each other, one or the other. Denver started scoring, their defense started locking down, and then scoring became easier, and then defending became easier, and it snowballed into this really great thing. The one thing I will say is, I don't think it was defense or offense, I think it was both, but I do think it was the sense of urgency and the intensity that they played both ends of the courts with that got elevated, and they started playing incredible. It was one of the, some of the best basketball that they've played from that point on to the end of the game. Denver was slashing a lot more, they were attacking Attacking off the bounce, but under control. You know, it wasn't just let's find Murray and Jokic and run to him. Torrey Craig would dribble drive into the middle of the paint, then kick it out. You know, Michael Porter had a great cut. You think about one of the things we've lost from Michael Porter for whatever reasons. I think there's various reasons we lost for it. He was a great cutter playing off of Jokic, and there just felt like you were going to get so many of those Jokic to Porter, you know, cuts. You haven't got a, a, nearly as many of those in this playoffs as you would have expected. But in this game, they got one crucial one that was uh, that came during this stretch. There was uh, a great ATO to start the fourth quarter. So Denver catches up to the Clippers, but they can't take the lead. They get within one, and all of a sudden, all momentum halts. They go on that 15-0 run, but they can't get over the hump. Got four, five, six times, Denver misses the opportunity to take the lead. And what I loved was to start the fourth quarter, they're down two points. Michael Malone calls a great ATO. I have this one up on the list. You're going to want to see it. Murray sets a back screen. It's a it's sort of a, a audible off of a play they run a lot. Murray sets a back screen for uh, Torrey Craig, and usually Murray kind of releases. You, you use your best shooter to set the screen, and then you release him to go get it. Well, on this play, they were both glued to Murray. Torrey Craig gets wide open under the basket, and, and Mason Plumlee makes a phenomenal high-low pass down to him for a wide-open layup. So game tied. Denver had been trying to tie the game for three or four minutes and couldn't do it. Malone with a great first play call out of to start the fourth quarter. They tie it, and then on the very next play, uh, Torrey Craig hits the shot that gets Denver over the hump. And you could see the bench. So the Clippers have to call timeout um, right, right away, first minute or so of the fourth quarter. And you could see the like relief on the Denver Nuggets. The whole team comes off the bench to greet them during that timeout. Everybody just feeling great because they knew not only was it taking the lead, but it was a three-pointer, so you knew you weren't going to lose that lead in any one possession. And it was just great. And out of that timeout or so, or, or maybe it was shortly after, I think it was out of that timeout. Oh, no. So Denver actually, a little back and forth, Denver has that three-point lead. Eventually the Clippers cut it to one, and Malone goes back to – he calls a timeout. There's nine minutes left. And if you remember the show from game four – Malone had this thing where he was trying to buy a couple extra minutes, left Jokic on the bench when the game got close, and the next thing you know, the Clippers pull away and, and the rest is history. Malone brings Jokic back at the nine-minute mark. 
So you knew, and that was a tough call because you knew that meant that Jokic was going to have a lot of minutes under his belt. But I mean, come on, it's an elimination game. What are you going to do? And Jokic only finished with 40 minutes, basically, which is, I think, I, I don't, I don't think you have to worry about that minute total at all. But they bring him back in at the nine-minute mark, and here's what's so crazy: the lineup he comes back with is Monte Morris, Gary Harris, Tory Craig, Michael Porter Jr., and Nikola Jokic. So basically, this is a small ball lineup with the uh, Tory Craig and Michael Porter Jr. in their front court at the three and the four. MPJ playing the four. The Clippers are a tall team. Um, this, now, this was the staggered lineup. This wasn't the Clippers' best lineup. They hadn't come back on the court yet. But you get this lineup out there, and here's what's crazy. It had never played together in the regular season. It had only played a few minutes, I think seven total minutes, all of which happened in the Utah series over the course of two games. It appeared in two games in the Utah series, so like in really, really spot minutes. And with the season on the line, Michael Malone goes to this. Now, part of this was... You know, he needed guys that he could trust to, to knock down shots. Um, you know, there was some foul trouble, this or that. And maybe he thought, we'll go with this lineup for a few minutes and then I'll bring back the starters. But guess what? The small ball lineup with really three shooters plus Torrey Craig and Torrey Craig knocked down shots during this stretch. So he gets, I don't know that he always will, but he, he joined the chorus. That small ball lineup destroyed the Clippers, destroyed them. They immediately hit a three. Um, you bring Monte, so Monte's in there. You bring him out. You bring Murray back in, and basically what you have are your starters, Murray, Harris, and Jokic. But instead of your long boy lineup, instead of with, um, and this is kind of a, a, this is a skinny long boy lineup. But it, instead of having Grant and Millsap in there, both guys who, you know, Jeremy Grant's been struggling with the three pointer. Paul Millsap hasn't been great. Instead, you bring in Michael Porter Jr. and Torrey Craig. And that lineup got stops. They flew around. The paint was wide open. And once Jamal Murray came in, the Nuggets just started attacking Lou Williams in the pick and roll to close this. Give him a spread lineup, attack in the pick and roll, and that game, it worked beautifully. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic made phenomenal reads in that pick and roll. Um, and I have all of them up. You're going to want to check. This is some of my favorite clips from the list is just exactly the different ways they attacked Lou Williams. They would bring – it's actually very reminiscent of how Utah attacked Denver – in the pick and roll, uh, you know, rather than just go right at, you know, you put your best defender on on Donovan Mitchell and then you have Jokic there, they would switch somebody else on there. Well, Denver was doing the same thing. Lou Williams wasn't guarding Jamal Murray. They, he was guarding Torrey Craig. They would bring Craig over, set that initial action. It's like a twist action and have him set the ball screen. Lou Williams gets switched on to Jokic. He wasn't trying, or on to Murray. He wasn't trying to switch on to. He was trying not to, but Murray did such a good job of not allowing him to not switch, if that makes sense. A lot of times, players guard to guard screens, they'll switch easily, right? Because they'll just concede like, okay, we're going to do this. And some people ask why. Well, if you have a, if teams are trying not to switch, there's things you can do if you're very crafty and have great timing to sort of force that switch. Jamal Murray did those things in the fourth quarter it forced Lou Williams onto him as a result the entire defense knew they couldn't guard Jokic Murray pick and roll with Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams they couldn't guard it with Zubats and Lou Williams either and Denver was just getting open shot after open shot and Malone trusted this lineup out there and they rewarded that trust by knocking down shots Gary Harris Torrey Craig Michael Porter Jr. Nikola Jokic all of them made three-pointers in that fourth quarter off of these actions and they just buried the Clippers absolutely buried them and the Clippers by the way lost hold of the rope it's funny because all year we've heard about you know do the Nuggets have a closer are they mentally tough enough are they tough enough for you know the Clippers are going to really test their metal and look at certain points in the regular season that was true the Clippers smacked the Nuggets in a game that looked like they were testing Denver's metal and Denver failed it's ironic that in this game six 
The Nuggets were the team with the spine, got knocked down to the canvas multiple times, got back up, and then delivered a haymaker. And when the Clippers got hit in the mouth, they go down like six, seven points. There's three minutes to go. You could still come back for that, 10 points even. You could still come back to that. They laid down. The Clippers did not go for any offensive rebounds. It's funny. You're up two, two and a half minutes to go. A team's up 10. You think the Nuggets were looking to run and gun? No, they're looking to run out the clock. That's when a team goes to the offensive rebounds. The Clippers didn't. They'd have five guys jogging back, backpedaling on defense, down 10 with two and a half minutes to go. They folded, absolutely folded, and I think it's ironic. So kudos to Michael Malone for an incredible dare going to that lineup and sticking with it when it worked. It has to be tough when you've never seen that lineup before or rarely seen it before, and you're closing a do-or-die game. Even when they went on that run, Malone stuck with it rather than bringing back Jeremy Grant or Paul Millsap which is what I think you know, a stubborn coach would do. He did not do that. He stuck with the lineup that was working, even though it doesn't necessarily fit Michael Malone's ethos. And as a result, Denver got an incredibly feel-good win. The ball was popping. With all that spacing on the court, the ball was popping, and it was incredible to see. Take our last break here to tell you about MSU Denver Online, the school that puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. Some of our very own staff members at DNVO took those courses to get a sense of what they're like, and they can attest to the easy work from home, study from home, take your tests from home, do all of that stuff from home uh, opportunity that they allow you. So if you've been thinking, you've been sitting on something for a while, you know you wanted to get into this field or that field, but you didn't have the requisite training or education, change your life today. Check out msudenver.com, their motto, their mantra, learn to lead the change. Value without compromise and excellent education. Check them out. Lastly, I want to tell you about the Colorado Raptors. You might have heard us mention some of the big things happening in Colorado rugby. And we've got the guy, Colton Strickler, keeping you up to date on all things American rugby, not just Colorado rugby. It's gotten bigger. We're now covering American rugby with the DNVR Rugby Podcast. You can find that out and his written rugby content over at thednvr.com. You can become a member. If you're a rugby fan or if you know somebody who's a rugby fan, tell them to check it out. Colton Strickler's done a great job, and he's got all kinds of cool guests on there. You know, coaches, people coaching the U.S. national team, players, uh, all-stars, Hall of Famers, just doing a great job. So if if you are a rugby fanatic or if you know a rugby fanatic, tell them to check out Colton Strickler and Colorado uh, and our DNVR rugby coverage. Great stuff. All right, so I want to close out today by talking about um, just game seven and and what it means for Denver. I mean, it's it's hilarious, but this is their fourth straight game seven. They should have some level of comfort. I, it's funny. I do think being in four consecutive game sevens and a majority of the te- players on this roster have that experience. I do think it helps. I don't know how much. But I do think it helps because Denver has been here. Jokic, after the game, people were kind of laughing, and everybody could see it in his eyes. He was earnest. He's like, I don't feel any pressure. Like, we don't. We feel like – and it wasn't just a, ah, shucks, look, we've outperformed. What does it matter if we lose? It's just I think that they have the right mind frame. This bubble's been exhausting. They've had their back against the wall a lot in this playoffs, and they've overcome it. So I think that there's a, a calm confidence that comes with that, and Jokic sort of embodies all of that. Um, I think Murray embodies it uh, uh, quite a bit too. So Denver, I think, goes into this game with some experience and some confidence. I think the Clippers are a team that 
you know, while they have so much talent and they certainly have players that can single-handedly win this, um, and they are seven-point favorites by Vegas, so Vegas, you know, hasn't changed their tune. They've they've had the Clippers as seven to nine-point favorites in every single game. That I thought maybe it would go down to like five or six, being a game seven. Nope, they Vegas still very confident the Clippers come out of this one. Um, so you know, it, it, it's by no means going to be easy for Denver just that they have the experience. But I look at it like this. You know, Denver has discovered some things in the series, just like they did against Utah. They've discovered some things that work. Um, some of that is getting is how to get the ball popping, and as a result, you're getting open shots for guys. Is Jeremy Grant going to knock down three-pointers if he's open in Game 7? Is Torrey Craig like he did in Game 6? Is Gary Harris? Is Michael Porter Jr. going to? Paul Millsap? Those are the big questions. Um, you, we saw in this most recent Game 7 with the Denver and Utah, 80-78, to 78, everybody missed shots. I think Denver's going to generate good looks because I think they've discovered how to generate good looks, but are they going to make them is a big question. The Clippers have been able to get to the foul line a lot more than the Nuggets throughout this series. They have guys that are great at drawing fouls, and you know, free throws, I think, are the easiest shots you're going to get in a game seven, just by nature of everybody being nervous. But at least at the foul line, you can compose yourself and those are just easier shots. So, you know, that's that's one battle for Denver. Don't foul. Don't put teams on the line. Don't put the Clippers on the line because that's the easiest points they're going to get all night. Um, turnovers are going to be crucial for Denver. It's tough to both get the ball popping, to play free and loose, and to not turn the ball over. Denver has to find a way to do that in Game 7. They have to if they want to win. Um, fast break points, the same thing. Like There's not going to be a lot of easy buckets for any in either team, so can you limit the easy fast break opportunities um, for the Clippers and make them beat you in a half court? I think that the Clippers are a team that don't trust each other nearly as much as the Denver Nuggets trust each other. So can you take away the easy stuff, make everything they get hard, and can you put them on their heels? This is a team that's had a 3-1 lead for, uh, you know, and then a 2 and then a 3-2 lead. This is a team that hasn't felt the same pressure as Denver. Now that sense of urgency is going to elevate their defense. It's going to elevate their hustle. It's going to be the toughest version of them in that regard that Denver has seen. But if you withstand that and you punch back and you sort of exploit some of the things that you've been able to exploit, then I think the pressure puts squarely onto them. Paul George has not been great in the fourth quarters of this series. He's been phenomenal. And really, if you just look at the plus minus, he, even more than Kawhi Leonard, has been the control piece in this series. When he's been a huge plus, the Clippers have won. When he's been a huge negative, the Clippers have lost. He was a minus 23, I believe, in that last game. That was a huge loss for him, and he kind of disappeared down the stretch. Can Denver put him in position for him to have to step up and make plays? I think that'd be a, a huge win for the Denver Nuggets. So it's going to be a battle. I think that another thing you look at in this one is how do the rotations affect both teams? Because just as we talk about lineups that don't work for Denver, although I think even the bad lineups for Denver over the last two games have been better than usual, but when you talk about you know certain lineups that you feel uncomfortable with as a Nuggets fan, the Clippers have those just the same that the Nuggets do. Montrez Harrell has been an absolute disaster in this series, trying to play him and Lou Williams at the same time, a disaster. Well, Avica Zubac, who I think... I think some of the numbers, on-off numbers for him have more to do with just sharing the court with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and, Ma and Marcus Morris, the guys who really can make an impact on this on this series and on Jokic in particular, just you know the flow of the game. But Zubats is still better than Montrezl Harrell, probably better than J. Michael Green, although I wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers tried J. Michael, more J. Michael Green minutes small. But with Zubats, 
He's not a big minute per game guy. He, he he's a very good player, solid, you know, average center in my opinion. He can do some things, but he's not a guy that you can say, "Hey, we need 40 minutes from you tonight." The Clippers might expect that from him, and if that's the case, one, Jokic needs to attack him and foul him out, get some of those other players in on the court, and two, make him work. He's not used to playing those minute totals, so now you get into a game 7, you expect 35, 36 minutes from him. Jokic needs to really as the game goes on, wear him down to where that becomes a huge advantage to Denver late, uh, and that'll be a battleground. And then lastly, just shot making. Jamal Murray, I don't think as a shot maker, has really had his breakout game in this series. Maybe it's not coming. There's some great defenders. But you know what? He's a heck of a big game player. He's, I, I, I think I've, I've said this before. I think he's a true disciple of Kobe. In a good way. What I what that means is I think his mentality, his my his mental toughness is just it's legitimate. It's not just talk. It's not just this or that. I think he truly approaches the game from a mental toughness standpoint in a way that's real. And I expect him to be, uh, you know, if ever a, a, an opportunity for him to have his best game of the series, not just as a playmaker, which I think has been phenomenal over the last two, but as a scorer, it's here in Game Seven. So those are your battlegrounds to me. Some role player will step up and knock down shots. Uh, on each side, see if Denver can sort of win that that edge. Evan Turner won that for the the Portland Trailblazers last season in Game Seven. Is there a player on Denver side, Michael Porter Jr.? I think Denver has more possibilities. You know, Monte Morris, Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, Torrey Craig. All of those guys can sort of step up and hit the one or two shots that sw- swing this game. And then can your big players show up? Should be a fun one, guys. I can't wait to see it. And lastly, you know, I talked about this yesterday, but it's funny seeing the discourse on the timeline today because a lot of the national writers and pundits are saying exactly what I said yesterday. And Nuggets fans might not like it, but what Denver has done to this point is a great story. They should be proud of it. It's an achievement. It's a step forward. And it's a great springboard into next season should they lose Game 7. I don't think you can have it disappointing. At this point, the Nuggets are not disappointing in any way, given what they've accomplished. But if you think losing in Game 7 with all of this fight means that people are going to start respecting the Nuggets and their name is going to be in lights across the NBA boards, you are wrong. This is what happens. Winners write the story. Winners get to advance. And if Denver makes it to the Western Conference Finals, it is miles different than if Denver makes it to Game 7 of the Western Conference semifinals. I don't write the rules. I'm just telling you how they're written, and that's exactly what's going to happen. So this game, and, and I, don't, I don't think the Nuggets actually care about this. Maybe as players, you know, maybe it's more endorsement dollars for Jamal Murray if this or that happens, whatever. But I know for fans it matters, and a lot of fans are not going to like it. But if Denver drops this one, they were a good story. You pat them on the back. Three months from now, you kind of forget it ever happened and that's just the nature of it. Let's go get the win. Let's hopefully enter the winner's lounge tomorrow and have a really good time and then turn our attention to a Western Conference Finals for the first time in 11 seasons. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We're going to be back tomorrow one way or another. Winner's Lounge, Loser's Lounge, DNBR will have you. We'll bring back in Harrison Wynn, Brendan Vogt, Eric Weedham, and we'll run through everything that happened. We'll see you all then. I want to tell you guys about Green Mountain Dental Group in Lakewood, the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area. And they're extreme Colorado sports fans just like all of us. 
you know the story. Our sales director, Lindsay, she had her wisdom teeth removed over there, said it was literally the best dentist experience of her life. They'll send you a personal card. I mean, this is what I love. Mom and Pop Shops, Colorado-owned DNVR members and supporters. And this is the place you go there. It's your birthday. They send you a card. It's Christmas. They send you a card. They just remind you, hey, we are a real company and we care about you. So now schedule your cleaning, x-ray, and exam, and you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. And tweet at us when you go there. Let us know you're supporting our partners. We want to know that. We want everybody in the DNVR family to succeed. Only 15 minutes from downtown is the first step to good health, taking care of your mouth. Remember, get a cleaning, x-ray, and exam at Green Mountain Dental. Receive a free Sonicare toothbrush.